0: Good morning again. I have a quandary with not only this podcast, but also what I'm planning to do in general, writing a book and courses and um, tips and websites, just basically health advice, how to improve um, your future through habits, all that kind of stuff. My quandary is that... I just listened to myself talking about the toxins in the home and I know when I've talked about movement and how this is important and how we should avoid that and how this food is toxic and how this other things estrogenic and how if you move with poor form it does micro damage all the time and these things are all scary and horrifying to think about. <laughs> And already in our culture, we're bombarded with information about what we should do and what we shouldn't do and what's good for us and what's bad for us. And it's pretty stressful there's so much of it and it can be confusing and it can be daunting and it can be hard to sift through. And it can be just another toxin. It can be one of those things to avoid. And here I am podcasting about what to do and am I just creating yet another difficulty or another obstacle or another confusion or am I helping and how do I resolve that quandary because there is there is a lot of there is a lot of knowledge that can help people there is a lot of guidance and support that can help people on their journey, if they are on a journey, if that is their choice, to improve their health through their lifestyle habits, essentially. But at the same time, one of the lifestyle habits, one of the things that causes the ill health in the first place can be the degree of stress and anxiety they have over their own health. And I've been there, I've been in a place where I've been paralyzed with fear because If I eat this food, it's got this ingredient that's good for me and this other ingredient that might not be. But how bad is it really? I heard it was bad from this person, but this other person didn't think it was so bad. And I've ended up, I think, creating micro damage to my health just through worrying about it too much. So that's a whole other topic. I've been thinking about this a lot because I just came across the polyvagal theory. I didn't just come across it. I met it a while back, but I didn't really take the time to look into it more deeply until just now. And I'm planning to do a podcast episode just on that because it's really changed how I see the stress thing and the sympathetic, parasympathetic thing. And I think it's super important And I've often wondered to myself, I've read a lot and experienced a lot and experimented a lot on myself with diet and with movement and with all the other things. And I listen to a lot of different people and a lot of different opinions. And I keep getting the same, you know, Pretty much everybody agrees that sugar above a certain amount and ultra-refined carbohydrates based on grains are toxic and unhealthy and cause this, this and this. And there's all these proponents of different diets and I know what's worked for me and I know what the science supports. Um, But there's outliers. There's people on all sorts of different diets doing really well (laughs) health-wise when they shouldn't be by rights. Not that many. I mean, you you can generalise. You can say that in general, people on blah, blah diet have nutritional deficiencies, are unhealthy and have a lot of illness. But even in blah, blah diet, there will be some people who are doing really well. They won't be the majority, they'll be the minority, but there are some people who have been on blah, blah diet for 20 years and are actually pretty healthy. And every now and then I've thought to myself, you know, what if, what if actually it's got nothing to do with what we eat, it's got nothing to do with how we move, it's got nothing to do with wearing orange glasses to screen out the blue light from computers, Um, It's got nothing to do with getting enough sunshine and having a tribe. Maybe it's all about something else. Something else that's underlying it all that we just haven't considered. And I've had this thought every now and then and then I've thought well no I mean the evidence is pretty clear these things are healthy and that's what our ancestors did and that's what evolutionarily we're built to do so it makes sense and and I think that's true but there could still be an element that's missing that we're not considering and when I was looking into the polyvagal theory recently I wondered if that that could be the missing element and I'm not going to go into it in detail here because it's going to take me a whole podcast and I'll have to do a bit more reading and listening but um, there is something about our environment in our early years so from when well from when we're conceived and we live in the womb but also in our early years when we're born and that early environment can set up well, a lot of things actually. It sets up the nervous system and with the polyvagal theory, that would be someone being able to balance and come in and out of the state of calm, they call it social engagement. but It means the state where you feel good and you feel well disposed towards mankind and you regard the people around you as friends and you trust them and you're relaxed. As opposed to fight and flight, where you're not sure if you can trust anyone, where you perceive a lot of threat, where there may be a lot of threat, but then in later life it becomes more established and you start to perceive threat where there isn't, and then the state of um, freeze or shutdown, where you've you've been in fight or flight so much for so long that you're fatigued and you go into a freeze which is a shutdown or it can be the state you go into primarily because it's kind of like playing dead Um, and gazelles will often do that apparently Um, when the lions actually caught them they play dead because that way the lion may get distracted and leave them alone they may run away whereas if they're still fighting the lion's going to keep holding on to them um But anyway, that that whole ability to regulate one's autonomic nervous system is actually established in the first year of life and beyond, but that's when it begins. And interestingly, that's when all the motor patterns are, are created and established as well. Maybe the two are linked. I'm sure they are. And so I'm just pondering, is that all it is, is it actually much simpler than diet and all those other things and toxins? Of course they play a role, I'm not gonna dismiss them. But is that first year of life where we're setting up, setting up our nervous systems, especially the autonomic nervous system and then the other nervous system, which is responsible for motor patterns, getting all that wired in, sorted out, functioning properly, And then if we do that well and effectively and the best way possible, do we then grow up to be someone who is actually fairly immune to changes in diet and weather and toxins and habits? Do we then grow up to be a much more resilient person who doesn't have to worry quite so much about whether they're spraying themselves with a fragrance or whether they're getting enough sleep? I'm not going to say those things don't matter, but I'm, tr- I'm always trying to explain why some people are so vulnerable to those things and the more they know about them the more they stress about them and it seems to make them worse instead of better and people can get completely obsessed I've done that in the past I've been absolutely fanatical about not doing a certain behavior that might possibly harm me a tiny bit because I've become so protective of my health and like a siege mentality um well, the, the, obviously, this is. there's an interplay. There's an interplay with were you um, conceived, gestated and born and spent your early years in a nourishing environment, which then led you to be able to make those choices more naturally and easily without really needing the information because the choices were quite instinctive and also made you quite chill about um, your health, like almost taking it for granted because you had such a broad, strong foundation of health. And then are there other people who grow up in a, um, well, I'd say a lot of people, possibly the majority, the way I see parents shouting at children and belittling them and expecting ridiculous things of them. I saw this woman <laughs> trying to tell her dog that was in the car to be quiet by making, by making a hand gesture at the dog, of, you know, bringing the fingers uh, towards the thumb, as in, be quiet, stop talking, as though the bloody dog's going to understand a hand gesture. It's hilarious. But I see people expecting one-year-olds to understand things that are at the level of a five-year-old and talking to them on that level which is it just goes to show the the distancing the alienation we have from our own nature to to be able to do that to not get that a one-year-old doesn't understand certain things and you can't talk to them in certain ways so um, anyway to wrap this up There's obviously got to be an interplay between that early childhood environment and all the habits and stuff I'm talking about and I do not want my giving of habits or my expressing of information and my sharing of my experiences to become yet another stressor, yet another environmental toxin for people to deal with. So I guess I've got to mind how I speak and how I express it and provide a baseline okayness, a baseline calmness in how I express things and not create hysteria and on the subject of that early childhood environment I also don't want to convey the impression at all that if someone had a disadvantaged early childhood um, environment where all these things got created that didn't need to be and could have been avoided, that that's somehow irreversible and set in stone. It is so not. The one thing about humans, I mean, it's not only true of humans. We just happen to have this in a greater degree than other animals, is our learning ability and our capacity for change, our capacity for remodeling our own nervous systems. And that's because we're born so immature. We don't really mature for years after we're born. And we take a whole year to learn to walk, whereas pretty much every other species can walk virtually a few minutes after birth. So because we have that immature nervous system at birth, it's capable. ...of rewiring and relearning and resetting endless times. And it's not a necessarily a, a easy overnight process. It takes effort. It takes time. It takes support. It takes encouragement. It takes dedication. But everything can be, to some extent, either reversed fully, reversed partially or worked around, adapted to, maybe not reversed at all, but instead some other capability built up that compensates just as blind people develop a greater um, area in their brain devoted to hearing and other senses, and just as someone who loses their arms can use their foot to do the stuff they used to do with their arms. So some things are not reversible, but even the things that are not reversible can always, there's always an adaptation. There's always some workaround, some adaptation that can be made to enhance life and to um, create a, a, a life of joy and satisfaction and purpose fulfilled. Yeah, that's my little musing and quandary. Thanks for listening.